What is going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell. Hanging out on a Thursday. A ton of stuff. Hump day. We have a Stanley Cup champion. Not hump day. We're over hump day. We are all the way over the other top. We're on our way. Oh, yeah? (laughs) All right. It's pretty rough. (laughs) Hey, it's Thursday. We got a long week. You know, we kind of put it behind us. Uh, Game six takes place tonight. Yeah. Break that down. Uh, Pete Blackburn is going to help us break down the unlikely run of the St. Louis Blues as they knock off the Bruins. Yeah. what? Pete's our what? guy. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. He's been, he's yeah, been uh, uh, the picks. Yeah. Is that what you're going with? Yeah, that's where I'm going, bro. Yeah. I think I we're going to have to accuse him of being a homer, which he is because he's from Boston and he picked the Bruins, but we'll be able to address that with him in person. Okay. Isaiah Roby, who is getting ready for the NBA draft, yeah. played at Nebraska. We're going to get him to talk a little bit about that process. Can't wait to do that. Uh, before we get to the Warriors Raptors tonight, you and I, uh, talk a lot about our health. Our fitness. Yeah. You know, I was doing this cleanse this week. I had a wedding this past weekend. Yeah. So I was like trying to really be good. Was water only Monday, like flushed it all out. Then I was doing juices. So last night, yeah. my wife, who typically is a good influence, brought me down. Oh, what'd you, what'd you guys have? So my daughters went and they, we had a babysitter. Like it was not something planned. Like right. we, we do date nights, but my, my other niece said, Hey, I'll take them to the movies. Boom. So my wife's like, let's do something. So yeah. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we go for a walk on the beach at like five in the afternoon. It was yep. great. And then my wife's like, I know you're not trying to eat, but should we get something? I was like, all right, let's go. What'd you get? I went, we went to this Mexican place, housed some tacos, yeah, buddy. margaritas, oh. chips and salsa, yeah, don't nachos. Just and go. I already, yeah, just, just I didn't go. even like ease my way back in, just over the top. Well, you got to do it, bud. Just destroyed. Life, so like the past life's for living, before, man. That's what, that's the way life's I for living. To look at it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to get back on it, but now at this point, I'm like, maybe I'll eh. just, now I'll ease into it. <laughs> uh, you have a, a gauntlet that's been thrown down. By one of your former teammates, Eddie House was you, on local radio hey, the other day. That poop butt mofo hopped his butt on local Miami radio, right. And challenged me to a, a winner take all game of horse. I've told you this story before, right? Like before every every uh, every shoot around, right? Yep. Which is like every morning before our games, he and I would end our shoot around with um, a game of out. It wasn't horse; it was out. Okay, have the time. <laughs> um, and it what went, was wrong with pig? We're gonna be <laughs> two kids. Good question. Late. I don't know. So we um, but it was it was epic. Like, and there would you know there'd be a lot of smack talk, and there'd be people kind of gathering around. We never played for money. We just played for pride, right? Um, and to be honest, like I think it wound up being like a one or two point um uh, uh deal at the end. Like he might have had. I actually had one or two more than him. <laughs> he might have had one or two more than me. But we liked. We both have have uh told people in our circles that we destroyed the other one. So yeah, funny. he was on with Mark Hockman and Channing Crowder, your yeah. neighbor, who yeah. was the Miami Dolphins, just talking all kinds of smack. Talking all kinds of You're going to talk that type, of, that type of smack, Ed. you got to come on here yeah. and do well, it I'm, face. I'm hopping on Channing and Crowder, <laughs> and Crowder and uh, Hock, Hockman and Crowder tomorrow to right. defend myself, and then right. we're going to get Eddie and them on here right. so that we can hash this out. And we might have to have a, a film crew go out and get this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This, it, it's going smack. down. He's talking about he don't... He don't turn nothing down but his collar, and half the time he don't turn that down. I mean, he's into some real old school, you know. Did he break out the uh, the, the celebration? <laughs> no, not against not against me. But that's classic that? Eddie out. Oh, absolutely. Hey, listen, that's real, what I remember about him. He is uh, like he is good people and hilarious, man. Like when when he comes on, like the people will enjoy it because he, he's hilarious. All right, we got to get that, make that happen. All right. Uh, there is actually an NBA game taking place. Game six is, uh, is going on tonight. So the Warriors, the way I look at the Warriors, I think there's one of two ways you could view it. Uh, one is 
they lose Kevin Durant. They rally around that fact. You know, the the fans were cheering. They used that as motivation. They kind of rally around it, and they play better. Yeah. I think there's another way to look at it, too, which is they have all this distraction. All they've been asked about is Kevin Durant. He's no longer there, and it becomes this devastating loss and this black cloud hanging over them, and they get beat tonight at home. Do you think either one of those plays out, or we put too much in the emotional stories off the court? I, I have no feel for this. <laughs> right? I really don't. I, 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 cause I could see, I could make a case for either one of those playing out. Um, look, I, I, what I do know is minus Kevin Durant, Toronto is a better basketball team than Golden State. It's been clear. It's played out every single game. I know that. Um, and yeah, Golden State fans will say what they say, but I, I, if you could, if you could remove yourself from the situation and look at it, you know, uh, impartially, like you'd say that they're just more weapons. They're better players, you know, uh, across the board. Um, I tend to think that Golden State is going to be lifted up early in this game by a raucous crowd. It's the last game at Oracle ever, which is one of the great places. Like their their noodles um, uh, that they sell there, like in in the um, in the are they good? Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I, they'll be lifted early. They're role players. It's at home. I imagine they'll get a good effort out of them. And I think you'll have to gauge it on whether or not, you know, they separate. It's one of those games. I talk about this game all the time where the home team comes out, they're hot, they're fired up, they're firing on all cylinders, and then the road team is only down six yeah. or eight. If Toronto is hanging around um, and they're not, there's not really true separation early in the game, I think Toronto is going to get them at the end of the game because I think they're better. Because that's what happened in game five when – Kevin Durant was on the court. He's playing unbelievable. He's knocking down threes. Steph and Clay, they look really good. And you're looking at the scoreboard like, why isn't this a blowout? Right. Toronto's just right there. So could see that one too. Um, Steph and Clay played awesome in that game five. Toronto did not. And it was a one point victory with, with Toronto having a chance to hit a shot at the end of the game. It's crazy how many times I've said this in this postseason about that Toronto team, but I think that speaks to how good you know, they are on the defensive end of the court. There have been multiple games where, you know, it could be Milwaukee or, or Philly or even Golden State where, you know, Toronto hasn't got great production from a lot of people and the other team is barely beating them. They're really stout defensively. I think, I don't know what, you know, the analytics say, but they, I think they're the best defensive team in this year's playoffs. They have to get an effort offensively tonight from, from two people. Pascal Siakam has to be good. And Kawhi has to be better than he was in game five. Mm-hmm. And I look, everyone's allowed an off night. And it's great if your off night can be to the tune of like 25 points yeah. on a 10-0 run. Um, but overall, he was bad. He had a lot of turnovers. You know, he, he wasn't getting to the line. He was, he was complaining about some fouls. You normally don't see him do that. He looked like he was out of rhythm offensively. When you go on the road and you play a game, he has to lead them. This can't be a game where where, you know, you're looking for Fed Van Fleet to get off early or you're looking for Kyle Lowry um, or Mark Gasol. This has to be Kawhi, put his stamp on that game early. I'm here to play. Everybody get on my back and let's go. And then you'll have some guys that'll get on his back and go with him, but you can't come out and not look like yourself if you're Kawhi tonight if, if, if Toronto has a chance. I would guess that Steph and Clay give you pretty strong performances. Sure. Like they're two of the best shooters that we've ever seen. I think it – and I've – kind of watch the way the series unfolds and this is where the defense comes into play watch Draymond what type of performance does he have Sean Livingston 
uh, Boogie. Yeah. Like, what type of contributions do you get from the other players, not named Steph and Clay? And that'll tell you a lot about how this game unfolds. This whole series has been about the others. Yep. You know, for the most part, you know what you're getting out of those three: Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Kawhi. Most of the most of the games that have been won, you know, had, the supporting cast for that team has been better, and it'll be no different tonight. And so that's why I say Golden State is in a better position because they're at home for those role players to feel comfortable, come out and do what they do. It is really going to be on Kawhi, maybe Kyle Lowry, because Kyle Kyle can be a star, right? Like he's a perennial All Star. One of those two has to come out. And be aggressive, assertive, and effective early so that all the rest of the role players for Toronto feel comfortable and they might be able to chip in and, and give you the effort that you need to win. Uh, do, what part of the mental aspect do you think plays in for Toronto? Because obviously, know the emotions are going to be high for Golden State, but Toronto being up 3-1, 3-1 has become one of the like jokes of the NBA when Cleveland, or when Golden State blew the 3-1 lead, when the Oklahoma City Thunder blew the 3-1 lead against yeah. Golden State, like it's kind of become this thing. And you don't want to be that team. You had a chance to close it out at home. If they do go down early, like I wonder if they start pressing, they're trying to get their first, you know, franchise title. It just becomes a thing where they start pressing and you don't want to, you want to go back to try to play normal what you do all year long. And it's just hard to remember that. I can't speak from the team that's up three one and gets chased down, but my, my son's team beat the Lakers and we were down one three, um, in 2006. And from that perspective, being the team that's down, you have nothing to lose. Right. You're just going out there. You're playing free. You're playing loose. Um, and you're just letting the chips fall where they may. And so, you know, if you're Toronto, it becomes that much harder when you're a team that's never closed out a championship series before. So if you let it slip away and you did let it slip away in game five, let's, yep. let's make no mistakes about that. For whatever reason, we can blame Nick Nurse or we can say, they should have called a timeout. The bottom line was you let an opportunity, golden opportunity with Kevin Durant leaving the game slip away. Man, you don't want to go back for game seven. And I know that sounds crazy because it's home and you'd like to win in front of your, but you do not want to get into a game seven with one of the best teams to ever play, you know, basketball. And this is your first time trying to close it out. And now you're 0 2 in closeout scenarios. Yeah, That's a lot pressure. of pressure. Yeah. It comes back even a lot of pressure. Uh, to be also interesting too. Uh, Oracle is closing. They're opening their new arena next year. It's hard to envision the Warriors going 0 3 to finish that tenure there. Of course, maybe the Raptors still pull it off. But, and selfishly, I hope we get a game seven. Like watching the hockey last night, like there's nothing better in sports right. than a game seven there. So we'll hopefully we'll see that. The other news that came out yesterday was Kevin Durant. We all assumed he had an Achilles rupture. Uh, we were kind of waiting for the MRI results and it just skipped that stage where all of a sudden it came out and Kevin Durant has the surgery performed on him, which my initial reaction was like, Oh, well, that was why he went to New York. Right. It wasn't just to get an MRI. You were saying that. Yeah. Yesterday. I was like, like that doesn't that make anywhere. sense. Right. So we obviously went to go see, uh, some of these professionals that are the best in the business to get the surgery. He came out after posted on Instagram. He wanted to announce it, control the message, uh, sent out a pretty emotional message uh, to his fans. I did rupture the Achilles. Surgery was today. It was a success. He said his road back starts now. I got my family, my loved ones uh, by my side. We truly appreciate it. Like I said Monday, I'm hurting deeply, but I'm okay. Basketball is my biggest love, and I wanted to be out there that night because that's what I do. I wanted to help my teammates on our quest for the three-peat. Uh, obviously, he wants to come back and come back stronger than ever. Your reaction when you saw this was what? I, I, I just feel bad for Kevin Durant. Um, 
Well, I, I know I came on the other day and, and I caught a little heat from even people I know for saying what I said about Kevin Durant. That he yeah. wasn't going to be the same player. I hope he is. Right. I, I, I hope that Kevin Durant comes back and he's the best player on the planet and this unfortunate, um, you know, injury doesn't derail what, what, what was a, you know, legendary career. Um, I just don't have any comp for it. And so when I'm looking at it, you know, I then have to hope that he's so good and he's so much better than everyone else that even him at 90% is the best player on the planet. And there's a chance that that's the case. I just know that you don't come back a hundred percent from that injury. That there's never been a guy who can, that you can find and say, Hey, you know, I came back stronger once I ruptured my Achilles. And so it, I'm heartbroken for Kevin Durant. Like it makes me, you know, I feel terrible saying that that's my job, right? But that's, that's kind of the way I feel. He could come back and be a perennial all-star, but he'll never have the same type of pop and the same type of lift and the same type of movement that he did prior to that injury. And, and, and that's a shame. It? Does he need it at his size? Cause he is such well, a he, unique, you know, six eleven, seven feet. I had this argument yesterday too. Cause one of my good friends, uh, Kenny Kelly was saying, well, you know, he's six eleven and he shoots the skin off the ball. Dude, I'm yes, all of that, but he does play athletically. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's at the rim. He's a slasher. He dunks. So you just have to kind of reinvent yourself because you'll still have the ability to do some of that. Not nearly as effectively, but he's going to have to reinvent. There are going to be some things that he can see and remember. Oh, I used to do that. Let me go. And you're not going to have that same pop. And so then you're going to be like, okay, well, I used to be able to make that play nine out of ten times. Now I can make it three out of nine to three out of ten times. Like I, I got to – you just have to kind of reinvent yourself and figure it out. And maybe he's so brilliant and so gifted that he does that. But you asked me what my initial – like I was yeah. just heartbroken for Kevin Durant. That sucks. Yeah, and, you know, my initial reaction was this won't hurt his bottom line one bit – but teams are smart. They have medical staffs so who are going to give their opinion. If you look at the history of Achilles tears and the surgical procedure that takes place and do the players come back, I'm sure there will be some teams. Maybe it's not the New York Knicks or maybe it's not uh, whatever teams that looking at him. But there will be teams that will say, maybe I don't want to invest as much as I would have of him at 100%. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for him, too. You know what I think will be? Hopefully this is the case. I think people are going to get behind Kevin Durant, which is something he's never really experienced. He's always had a really unique situation with the media and fans. I, he, I've I've criticized him for sure. being super, super sensitive. Um, you know, I was doing radio the other day, and somebody called in and said his mom – comes into play too much. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the dumbest criticism I've ever heard. Yeah. But people, for whatever reason, have not really endeared themselves, in, themselves to him. I think he's going to have a lot more supporters now. People rooting for like, America loves a comeback story. Yeah. And I hope he feels that embrace and he can actually feel what it feels like to be a superstar that everybody loves. Because for whatever reason, he has – there are definitely – Oklahoma City fans loved him when he was there. Great right. State fans loved him when they were there. For whatever reason, you can tell he doesn't feel – Loved. loved, yeah, you know, and I think he, hopefully he'll feel that. I think everybody deserves to feel that, like absolutely, you know, and uh, you know. Uh, but I will say it's a shame. I think it's a shame that it took him going out there and sacrificing uh, know, everything, everything yeah. for people to look at him like that, right? Like, what's that say about Our us? Society. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think that sucks. Yeah, it absolutely does suck. Uh, Steve Kerr had an interesting kind of. There's another layer to this because I don't think there's anybody to blame. I think this is a risk you take as a yeah. player. Uh, it was the worst outcome possible, but I think it's part of sports. 
But the, the conversation that was had when his mom went on GMA with Steve Kerr, the first message that came out was he was told that he couldn't hurt it any worse. Right. Steve Kerr's latest comment said they were told that the calf injury could be re-injured, but that was the worst-case scenario. So there's a little bit of an interesting dynamic there. I just don't know how the medical staff would say there's zero chance you could have anything worse because your calf is connected to your Achilles. I don't know. I, I don't know either. I, I, I've, I've said – so when I had my, taf, my calf tear, they wanted to shelf me. It was they were going to protect me at all costs. It was their job as a team. And I've had these conversations with David Griffin and Kobe Altman, Trent Redden when I was with the Cavs. You have to protect the player from himself sometimes. So while Phoenix was taking that approach, no. Aaron Nelson's one of the best trainers in the game. No, 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 no. Put the boot on me. You're not playing. You're not playing. So as that as that series starts going, right? Like and I'm I'm itching and I'm I'm doing everything physically and humanly possible to get back on the court. Acupuncture you know, I got this game ready ice machine that I'm living in. Like people are catering to me. Like I got my foot up 23 hours a day. I mean, we are doing everything we can to get ready. I'm now starting to pressure them to let me play, mm. right? To Aaron Nelson and, and our strength, and, I mean, conditioning and and and, and uh, training staff, they didn't want me to play. But I went out and I got my nerves deadened by like a acupuncturist. So there was a dot drill that I had to do. Never would have been able to do it. Like if I was feeling that. But I couldn't feel it. Right. So they were like, look, man, if you pass that dot drill, we'll let you play. Hopped around those dots, like barely did it, and they let me play. But it was me. I was pressuring them into doing it, you know? So I, I do want to give Golden State's medical staff a little bit of credit. Like if you said that you couldn't injure yourself further, that shame on you. Right. But there is a pressure that's probably applied from Kevin Durant. And in that case, it was me to get back out there and do what I wanted to do. I was watching our team flounder, like, and, and just, we didn't have enough bodies. It wasn't right. that I was that good. We were just, we were depleted and I wanted to be a part of that and I wanted to help in whatever capacity I could. And sometimes it's hard for training staffs and doctors and, 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 and an coaches art. to say no to that. Right. You know, it's an art form. There is a, there's not, you know, it's not cut and dry sometimes. There is a little bit tweaking in there. I would say for Golden State, their history of protecting players is pretty strong. Yeah. Like not letting Clay play in game three, I think it was. Uh, Steph Curry with his ankle issues and always, they've been pretty slow right. in getting him back, his knee issues. Boogie even took a long time to come back this season to play. So I think they- Not all of them had championship ramifications right True. then though. True. So it does definitely so, I mean, some pressure. Just being fair to all sides. Yeah, for yeah. sure. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. I don't know. We got to make sure yeah. we don't play too much of it because we'll have to pay for it. We don't want to do that. <laughs> but we are singing the tune of Gloria because that is what all of St. Louis is doing. Much to the chagrin of our next guest, our buddy Pete Blackburn. 
Uh, I don't know if he's still hungover or not. Not from celebrating, but maybe from drinking his sorrows away. Pete, what's up, man? What? How are you doing this morning? Just checking in. How are we? I wake up early to come on this show for you guys, and I, I come on, and you're singing Gloria straight in my face. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I don't know if that's the worst or the graphic on the bottom, which says the saddest Bruins fan. That's what that's what our producer did just for you. Uh, how would how does this happen? How does Boston, with all the success they have, how do they lose at home in a game seven in a series which which they were heavily favored? How does this happen? Yeah, listen, the Blues are, are a good team, and, and they proved that they are resilient and all that, and they certainly deserve to win in Game 7. But this one is going to sting for Bruins fans for a long time because the Bruins should have won this series. I thought that they were the better team. I still think that they're the better team. They choked, man, in the final, and especially in that Game 7. That that offense was terrible. Uh, their best players were really bad. Brad Marchand was, was really bad. Patrice Bergeron, uh, not very good. David Pasternak, not very good. So it stings when you lose and it stings even worse when you lose to a team that you feel like you should have beaten and you didn't get your best guys playing to their capabilities and that's the story for this Bruins uh, loss and it's, it's going to sting for a long time for sure that's tough was there any like I, I felt like watching that game there was an early power play Boston had and they were peppering uh, yeah. Jordan Bennington they looked like they were just bound to to put one in the net there and once they didn't get that done it just felt like all momentum was on the blue side no yeah, that entire first period felt like it was going in the Bruins' favor, and they didn't get anything to show for it, and that's pretty devastating. And and it sort of the same thing happened in Game 5. They came out really strong in home ice, and they just weren't able to get anything to show for their offensive attack in, in the uh, in the first period. And the Blues struck first, and when that happens, that's really demoralizing. And so the Blues were able to kind of retreat into defensive hockey for the final 40 minutes. And, man, they are really, really good at that defensive style of play. They put a lot of pressure on the puck. It seemed like any time a Bruins uh, puck carrier had possession, he had three or four Blues guys around him and wasn't able to do anything with it. So, I mean, the Blues, they they sort of got lucky in the sense that, that the Bruins weren't able to capitalize. But you got to give credit to Jordan Biddington because he was unbelievable in the first period, and he kept his team in it. And he was certainly the better goaltender in Game 7. All right, we're going to cut that little clip where you said they sort of got lucky, and we're just going to stop it right there and send it to St. Louis so you can get some more vitriol uh, sent your way. Uh, you mentioned Bennington, so impressive as a rookie goalie for the Blues. Is that one of the most impressive performances in the history of hockey? And there might be others. I just don't know about them. Like, where does that stand in the all-time performances from a rookie goalie? On his head? Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that Game 7 was sort of, uh, uh, you know, an, an, like a microcosm of the Blues' entire season because a slow start, they, they came out of the gate and didn't look very good, and uh, and then Jordan Bennington comes to the rescue, and they get only get stronger as the final 40 minutes go on, and, and they end up coming away with the victory that, that a lot of people didn't think that they were going to get. That's sort of the way this entire season played out for the Blues, and Jordan Bennington, I've been critical of him at points, and I thought that he's been overhyped at points throughout this entire playoff run. I got to say, I mean, he he proved everybody wrong and shut me up in Game 7 because that was an all-time performance where he was able to kind of just put the team on his back in that first 20 minutes and carry them to to victory. And uh, in the third period, he made an unbelievable save to deny uh, Joakim Nordstrom in the third period. And at that point in time, it felt like the game was over because the Bruins weren't going to get anything against this guy, and it just took all the air out of the building as the Bruins were trying to mount a comeback. So Jordan Bennington was unreal in Game 7.
Um, Ryan O'Reilly named the Con Smythe winner. Um, do you have any problem with that? Is he the clear cut choice? Yeah, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly didn't have a great first three rounds, and he's a great player. So it was a bit surprising that that he wasn't as good in the first three rounds. And uh, a little bit of recency bias when it comes to the Con Smythe voting, and he was by far their best forward uh, throughout the final. So no problem with his with his uh, winning the Con Smythe, and uh, it's a great story because Ryan O'Reilly was on the Buffalo Sabers last year and had gotten traded after saying that he was so sick of losing and just felt like he was kind of losing his love for hockey. And he gets traded to the St. Louis Blues and, you know, obviously a really difficult first couple of months with that team. And he got a lot of criticism. And now here he is, a Stanley Cup champion and a Conn Smythe winner. So uh, a really cool turnaround story for Ryan O'Reilly. What we do in sports, especially in our business, is we have to blame somebody. We have to come out with the hot take. If you're, if there's a Boston, let's just put a Boston sports bar after the game or tonight and they're complaining about whose fault this is, who are they upset with? If we're being realistic, it's probably Tuka Rask because Bruins fans are idiots and pin anything that goes wrong on Tuka Rask, and it's so infuriating. Uh, the same thing happened in 2013. Tuka Rask had an unbelievable playoffs. Uh, throughout the, their entire run was one of the biggest reasons that the Bruins got to the Stanley Cup final. And they fall short, and people say that he's the reason why they couldn't win the Cup. And I already saw people blaming Tuka Rask for uh, letting up two goals in the first period of, of Game 7. And, I mean, none of those goals were his fault. The offense was so bad uh, and just wor- wasn't able to pick him up down the stretch. And so, you know, it's it's insane. If people are going to blame Tuka Rask, you should basically have your fandom revoked because he was the Bruins MVP the entire postseason. He was the reason that they got there, or the biggest reason that they got there, and he was not the reason that they lost. So you cannot blame that guy. So to answer your question, it's got to be anybody but Tuka Rask. Please. I love it. Uh, why are you out there lying about your height on Twitter? Why would you do that? Oh, man. <laughs> what? Uh, if I was going to lie about my height, I would give myself more than 5'6". Trust me. That is not, not a great height to, to land on for lying. I love it. I saw you going at people and people in accusing you. You're posting pictures like, no, I don't think he's 5'6". I'm like, how are you? What do they have? Their iPhone measurement app that they're trying to do? I don't know. I love uh, the way you handled that. Hey, man, it's been a lot of fun. We appreciate you helping us out with all the uh, NHL stuff. And uh, we'll get you back on soon. All right. Cool. Sounds good. Awesome. Great stuff from uh, Pete Blackburn there. Really enjoyed his takes on uh, all the uh, NHL uh, needs that we've had out there. Uh, some NBA news. Um that kind of does have an impact on free agency mm-hmm. is Kyrie Irving, one of the most mercurial guys in the NBA. You've talked a lot about his personality, having known him. Yeah, totally. Showed the shoes that he had out here. So he has fired his agent, who he had a long-time relationship with, and the reports are that he will sign with Rock Nation Sports. That's obviously Jay-Z's crew. Does this mean that he is going to the Brooklyn Nets? Because, man, does it sure feel like it now. Um, I, I don't know. He's another one where... I don't know that anything that he would do would surprise me. And and he just kind of marches to the beat of his own drum. It is kind of weird timing to fire your longtime agent. Um but I mean Kyrie's Kyrie and he's been around long enough. Like I don't I don't think it's gonna be a big deal. The fact that he is signing with Rock Nation though, you can start to connect dots, right? Like the net CEO Brett Yormark, mm-hmm. I guess his 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 Rock Nation sports president is his brother Michael Yormark. Like there are some connections there. Jay Z, obviously Rock Nation used to be a minority uh owner in in um in Brooklyn. Kyrie's from the New Jersey area. Done. He's going there. Uh, yeah, I mean you can connect those dots. I'll say this again though. 
Kyrie to Brooklyn by himself doesn't really do anything. It doesn't move the needle. Does that make you better than Toronto? No. It doesn't make you better than Philly? No, I don't does even it think make it makes you better, you better than Milwaukee. Than you just came from, does it? Right. <laughs> and so, you know, and then, and, and look, everyone is allowed. Here's the, like, in today's climate, every fan or every person that's at a microphone or in front of a TV is saying that you gotta be going after a championships. It's your legacy. He's gonna, some dudes just aren't wired like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are other things in play. Like, they're, the quality of life, um, you know, living in a city that, that's desirable. There are other things. That, that, that may be factors to Kyrie, but purely from a championship and trying to win, if that's what we're judging this off of, I don't know that that's a great look. Uh, D'Angelo Russell currently on the Nets probably is most known for throwing one of his teammates under the bus. Yeah. Like, breaking, be, breaking guy code, bro. Yeah, what bro. you don't do. He's uh, living that down, players. man. He's that, that boy's balling. He's, ex- he's well, balling. that's what I was going to get yeah. to because. If Kyrie does come to the Nets, could have some impact on him. Adrian Wojnarowski reported on June 6th, uh, Brooklyn is clearing 18 million in additional salary cap space for July, which gives the Nets 46 in salary cap space to sign a max free agent and even retain restricted free agent D'Angelo Russell. Without Russell, the Nets have two max salary slots. Uh, him and Kyrie, how would that impact those two? Would they play together? Or would that mean one or the other? No, no, no. They, they play together. So I, Ideally, like if Kevin Durant were going to be able to play next year, mm-hmm. I imagine that behind closed doors in Brooklyn, you're hoping that you can get Kyrie and KD, in which case D'Angelo becomes expendable. Right. Right. Um, but with what's happened and what's transpired over the last, I don't know, 72 hours, now D'Angelo and Kyrie play together. Right. And, you know, they're two, it's kind of Brooklyn, not Brooklynish, sorry, it's kind of Portlandish, where you're going to have two relatively small guards. Um, but neither one of them can really be stopped off the bounce, and and they're both really really good playmakers with the ball in their hands. They're great passers, kind of like uh, Damian Lillard and, and CJ McCollum. So yes, they work together, and the way that the way Brooklyn plays, they'll be fine. They just do it kind of by committee. Everybody takes a turn with the rock. So I think they can play together. I just D'Angelo is really really good, but he's not better than uh, Kyrie, right? And he doesn't Which have isn't a knock to him at all. No, it's not a knock. Yeah. No, no. It, it, Fact. And he does have the type of cachet or star power that Kyrie has. And I believe that for a team to have a chance to win a championship, you've got to have that guy with Kyrie. Kyrie needs, at, at minimum, his equal. Probably somebody a little bit better with a little bit more cachet and more star power than himself. Um, and then he gets to live in that sweet spot that he likes to live in in terms of just, I'm going to get out there and be an assassin and score the heck out of the ball and don't have to really answer the questions or be the, you know what I mean? Like that's the sweet spot for Kyrie. You don't establish that here in Brooklyn. Did you know the NBA WNBA season is underway and you can now watch the biggest names in women's basketball with CBS sports. CBS sports network is televising a total of 40 live games in prime time, prime time and all weekends featuring all 12 WNBA teams. You can also live stream games on cbssportscom slash watch WNBA or and the CBS Sports app on your phone. Follow all the best WNBA action this season with CBS. Coca, our producer, is a big WNBA fan. I actually hit him up for gambling advice on the WNBA because yeah. if you want, like, the NFL is the hardest thing to beat because the most people are analyzing it, studying it, watching it. The WNBA, you can actually find some pretty good edges in there. So, really? yeah, just a good nugget there. And obviously, you can watch it uh, at CBSSports.com uh, all the time. 
Um, we were going to have Isaiah Roby on, but there was a little technical glitch with his shot, so I don't know if we'll maybe get that back up Good tomorrow. Luck. Maybe. Good yeah. luck, Isaiah. We'll try to get that one back. Um, the Lakers and Pelicans have been in talks uh, for potential Anthony Davis trade. It goes mm-hmm. all the way back before when it was blown up and everybody's faces made public. Mm-hmm. The Lakers, at the time, was reported they were offering pretty much everybody in the kitchen sink, but there is a player that they apparently are reluctant to give up and that would be one Kyle Kuzma. Woj is reporting that the Celtics and Lakers, they are engaged. Uh, league sources tell him and his crew at ESPN, the Lakers' number four pick has been discussed as a trade chip to help the Pelicans acquire high-level player in multi-team deals. Um, Mark Stein is reporting the Lakers have made Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and the number four pick available. Uh, one name that you're hearing left off of there is Kyle Kuzma, Tanya Ganjuli. Uh, said one player the Lakers trade discussions with the Pelicans could hinge on Kyle Kuzma. The Lakers do not want to trade him, but the Pelicans want him as part of the package. I think he is the best player of that young squad. Better than Lonzo Ball. I think his game fits better. How, why you give me that head shake? You don't think so? You'd be willing to part with him over Lonzo? Are you saying just do it, do the deal, give whatever you have? Oh, to no, no, no. I'm just listening. I was, this is right. my own head. Uh, <laughs> I think Kyle Kuzma, I think he is the best player of that young, talented group on the Lakers. If I was the Lakers, I completely under- understand them saying, hold on a second, we'll give you an awful lot, but we're not going to give you Kuzma. I think that Kyle Kuzma fits what the Lakers are going to try to do with LeBron and Anthony Davis better than Lonzo Ball and right. Brandon Ingram. Both of those guys kind of need the ball in their hands more than Kyle Kuzma does. Um I think that Kyle Kuzma right now, uh, you could make a case for him being the best of the three of them. I don't think he's got the highest ceiling. I think that... Kuzma does not have the highest ceiling. Uh, I don't. I think that Lonzo Ball still has the highest ceiling of all of those guys because what he can do uh, from the point guard position defensively, he's he's great on the ball defensively. I think he will continue to get better. I, but full disclosure, I'm a Lonzo Ball fan. So right. having said that, um, let's get to the trade part. I think that the Lakers... Are doing what every team has to do, which is coming out of the gates with your with your proposal to counter what they've asked for. Trying to act as firm as you can with with what you're going to give up. You are going to give up, Kyle Kuzma. It's going to happen. You're going to give him up to get Anthony Davis. He's going to be in there with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and whatever else, unless you can find another team to facilitate getting them a piece that's better than Kyle Kuzma. Whatever that rep, whatever represents that. Uh if you can get that to New Orleans in Kyle Kuzma's stead and somehow miraculously you're able to hang on to Kyle Kuzma, that would be the only scenario in which you hold him. Otherwise, if it's straight up and you're making the deal, you're going to have to give up Kyle Kuzma. Totally agree. I think the Lakers like whenever there's a trade made, there's always the conversation of who won the trade. Sometimes there are trades that look pretty even. You're like, "Yeah, it worked out for both teams." I think the Lakers are going to get worked over because they don't have much leverage. They have, pl- they have they already placed their cards on the table once, yep. and they got embarrassed. You consider the way the offseason unfolded with Magic stepping down, all the negative publicity, LeBron's getting older. It's just they have to make a desperate move and a swing at Anthony Davis, even more so than any other team out there. The only thing I think that might have helped them a little bit is the other team that was in these sweepstakes was Boston. And by Rich Paul going out there and saying, attention, Boston, we were only one year, maybe that gives the Lakers a little bit more leeway. But the Pelicans still have Anthony Davis. They can just say, well, all right, 
We'll We're sit. playing ball. Yeah, we'll sit on him, uh, which I don't think anybody wants to do. I don't think the Pelicans even want to do that. They want to get something for him. But I think that might have given the Lakers a little bit more leverage. But ultimately, I still think they're going to get fleeced. Do you think that Anthony Davis and LeBron is enough in the Western Conference now if KD's out next year? Yeah, because I think LeBron is going to be on this revenge tour. I think he'll be healthy. And I think Anthony Davis has kind of been forgotten about about how good he is because he's been playing in New Orleans. Do you think that... Do you agree with me on that? I don't think it makes them win the Western I Conference. I don't think they were that far off this year. Right. Before I mean, he got hurt, they were in the playoffs. They were in the playoffs. Um, And it was playing with a bunch of babies. So I tend to agree with you. But here's the other part of that. If you're looking at it from Anthony Davis's perspective and you're giving up, all of the young talent with the Lakers. Because that was supplementing what LeBron was doing this year. LeBron was playing fantastic. These young players might not have been ready to like win a championship. But without them this year, you, know, you certainly weren't getting it done with just Tyson Chandler and Lance Stevenson and Rajon Rondo. Like These young players were playing huge roles. Um, what is What are you putting around them? And if you're Anthony Davis, LeBron's only got, like I don't know, two, maybe three years worth of of, of – like vintage LeBron left in him, if that right. I'm being, right. like, I don't know. You've gotten rid of all that young young talent to get you Anthony Davis. What's that look like for you moving forward? Are you stuck in a situation kind of like you were in New Orleans, where organization hasn't been known for being run very well? There's really no talent around you, and you're trying to carry a team. And it's been proven, at least in my mind, that Anthony Davis. If if I make that claim about Kyrie needing to be the number two, yeah, he needs to be the number two. Right. He, nothing's translated into real wins for that cat. And we're talking about him being the best player in the league, possibly. He right. needs to be the number two. He's kind of fallen off that pace. There was a couple years ago when every, they'd have the NBA GM survey and it was, who do you want to build around? And it was always Anthony Davis for yeah. a couple years consecutive. He's fallen off that. Now Giannis has kind of taken that title. There's some right. other players in there. So I think some of his, you know, it's the, just the shine has been wiped off a little bit. It's been knocked off a little bit. How much do you think time plays in here? Because the Celtics can't officially trade for AD until after July 1st, right. where the Lakers are now in this conversation that you think it could take place before the draft, which is next Thursday. If you're the Lakers, you are, you, you're you trying to close get this, this done. Yeah. If yeah. you're the Pelicans, you want this done. Like yeah. everyone wants this done. Like it's just about, you know, it's going to, it's going to be whether they can extract that, that, uh, that Kyle Kuzma situation. Because although the Celtics have said, don't trade for him. And I mean, although Rich Paul and Anthony Davis have said to the Celtics, don't trade for him. Right. I mean, it's been done before. Toronto took a swing at Kawhi last year. Nobody thought Kawhi was going to stay in Toronto. Yep. Look where that got you. Yep. Right. Like it got you a chance with Kawhi. He probably still leaves. Like, I don't know, but it got, it got, it might get you a championship. So, it, you know, it's not unprecedented with a talent like a Kawhi or an Anthony Davis for a team to say, all right, we're doing it anyway. Right. So, I mean, I, Lakers need to get it done. So we have the uh the NBA draft coming up next week and you have said and it's pretty much been widely accepted that it's really a three player draft um with John Morant, Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett and then there's kind of a bigger drop off there of course there'll be some players in there but there's a significant drop off. Most people assume that RJ Barrett is going to land in the third spot to the yeah. New York Knicks. He has made it known that he doesn't want to meet with any other team. He prefers to be taken by the Knicks. Uh, his quote was, I won't be meeting with any other teams. It's the place I want to be, so I hope they draft me. Do you think he's being too aggressive, outspoken? Is he taking the wrong approach? Should he work out with maybe the top three teams and say, hey, maybe there's a chance? Or do you like him saying, nope, I want to go to the Knicks? Um, 
Yeah, I would have probably worked out for the top three teams. Right. Just to see if I could, I could sway Memphis or if I could sway, um, who's number two? New Orleans. Uh, New, Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. I mean, yeah, New Orleans and then Memphis. Um, into taking me. Cause I'm, I'm not sure that it's clear cut between RJ and Ja. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know right. that everyone's going to go with Zion. Zion just has to do, you know, he, he might not even be working out. I don't know. But you, you like, I would have tried to work out for the top three teams. Um, but he knows, he must have heard already, he's going to New York. And I'm okay with that. Like, right. But I would have personally tried to work out for the top three teams. Me too. Not even work out. At least meet with them. Or, yeah, like, yeah. That's the thing. I don't whatever it is like, that they're doing. Why not just meet with them? Because there was a player, I don't know if you saw that, but uh, I forget who it was. Maybe Coca can help me out. There was a player towards the ACL and in the workouts for the teams. And he wasn't a top 10 pick, but he was a potential draft pick. That stinks. And that's your worst case scenario. And he probably was a position where he had to work out. Right. But it kind of uh, stinks that that happened, obviously. So RJ Barrett will be all over that. Uh, as next Thursday, the NBA draft takes place. All right. Welcome back to Canal and Bell. The U.S. Open is taking place right now at Pebble Beach. It is underway. Scott Piercy atop the leaderboard. The hey, leaderboard Scotty. is just starting. They just teed off because it's three hours behind. So right. it's 7.47 East, uh, West Coast time right now. So they're actually just getting on the course. Uh, but after two holes, he's one under par. You got Sam Saunders following him. Great dude. Scotty <laughs> Scheffler. Straka. Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler's in there, right? Is he? No, I think you're talking about Sepp Straka. Am I? My bad. Yeah, there's also Brend Weisberger, Thornborn Olison, Grillo, Grillo, real? Grillo. How about this dude right here? Can you read that name right there? Clement Sordet, the Frenchman. Sorbet. I don't know. No, I think it's a D, but is it? I can't, it's all good. It's a little angle here. Uh, so yeah, obviously they're very early in their tee times. Not a lot of the big boys, uh, tee off a little bit later. Uh, Rory tees off at 1051. JT and Ricky Fowler at 1102 Eastern. Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson at 1113. I'm getting excited. Just give me some sleepers. Give me, I like, to, I don't mean like Ricky Fowler sleepers. I mean, give me some dudes with, uh, that, that could come out of nowhere potentially and give like a, all right, I got like one. a Jim Furyk type. I was of just name. gonna give you Jim Furyk. You? So right. Why'd you go there okay. and do that? Um, Same page, bro. I think Same Patrick page. Cantlay, who we saw the video early, he had just come off a win not that long ago. I think he's a guy who could come out of nowhere. Brant Snedeker, yeah. who is a good golfer, has had incredible experiences at Pebble, Pebble Beach. Right. I think he's a guy that could kind of come out that's not in your top five like superstar powerhouses like Tiger, Brooks, DJ, right. Right. Rory, those types of names. Um, Billy Horschel. I like that he's a gator, so I can't stand him. And he got mad at me one time because I criticized him <laughs> at the U.S. Open uh, on my radio show. And right. he heard about it, and he was not happy. He was complaining about the greens at um, Chambers Bay, and they were awful. They were terrible. They were awful. It was out he in, had, in uh, Washington, right? Yes. Yeah. He, they were out there playing, and there was one where he really, like, outlandishly, he missed a putt. Yeah. And he was, like, like pointing, like, all dramatically at the yeah. greens. yeah. I was like, we know they're bad greens, but you're not the only one putting on them. True that. And that was my comment, and he was not happy about it. He was like, oh, well, I would like to see you try to come out here at this level, and it's just brutal. Uh, the forecast, this to me is what you should keep an eye on throughout the tournament. It looks like it's going to be pretty nice weather. A little Wild, man. 11 mile per hour. That's, that's what I want to see. I would like to see change. Uh, I was looking at bets. I did not take one as far as the lowest score was 65 and a half. I was going to take the over saying there's no way they'll go below that. With these types of conditions where the wind isn't up, it looks like it's going to be mostly cloudy. Like that'll be some sun yeah. creeping through. I would say they would go pretty low in that situation. Like so I think they'll do there. For my, for your pick, that might be great. For my pick, I don't believe that to be good. Right. Your guy is? Tiger. So he and needs to. 
well, he the, the heart of the course plays. You, you you've said this to me off air. I don't think we talked about it on, on air. Yep. He wants weather. He wants the tough conditions, right? Like Absolutely. that tiger's hoping for that. And you know, I said his advantage would be figuring out how to get around that course and having to think it. If the weather's fine and people can just you know just stripe it wherever they want to go with it. There are way more aggressive players out there than him. But can you talk about like the, the philosophy of him wanting weather and wanting tough conditions? Oh, so because he's had experience comes into play. Right. He also has some of the best game that's out there. He's got the patience to be able to, hey, I get a double bogey. It's no big deal. Like I think a lot of younger players would get a double bogey and they're like, oh, the tournament's over. Right. Um, we saw last year Tiger, you know, struggle. We've seen him struggle before in other tournaments and it doesn't phase him. And I, I would think if you're any of those top players, you say, and it's a mindset that you have to have, bring it on. Like, right. I'm going to weed out the rest of the field because they're going to crater. I'm going to be able to succeed in those conditions. You know what I did? And you, we got to get you into gambling. Like, <laughs> I don't want to bring you down or anything. I like to gamble. I just don't bet on games. Like, I go to the well, so no, this, table. This and, is really cool. Right? So I think you would love this. Right. And you don't have to put a lot of money in it just to get it funded. You can actually do it for free, but that's no fun. Uh, but you can actually win money just for free. Right. Uh, FanDuel. So I opened up a FanDuel account this morning. I was mm-hmm. talking to Coca, uh, before the show. And what you get to do is it's, it's a fantasy league. So there is a salary cap, like each player. So right. like Brooks Kapka is the most expensive player that you can buy at like $12,000 or whatever the yeah. number is for him. And it goes down to $7,000 and you can't go over your salary cap. So this is my lineup. You tell me if you like this. I got Xander Shoffley. Mm-hmm. He's always he's been in the mix. I actually took him to win on a flyer bet. Our guy Tony Finau. Yeah. Those are my top guys. Then it starts to get a little bit cheaper. Webb Simpson, who has won a major okay. before. He's kind of a name that is always in the mix. He won my bet at the Masters top five finish. Brant Snedeker. Yeah. Just talking about him. Jimmy Furick. Jim our guy. Furyk, right. And somebody who we always forget about. If he was in the leaderboard, I'd kind of not want him to win. But Francesco Malinare. Yeah, solid. Double so that's machine. my six. That's my six right there, which I feel pretty good about. Now I passed on Rory, Tiger, Brooks, and DJ yeah. to get a better lineup. So you can do more than one lineup. Right. I have another lineup that I took Brooks and I took, I think DJ, the top two favorites, and then had like a bunch of scrubs at the bottom. Right. But then you run the risk of those scrubs missing the cut. Yep. And you miss out on a ton of like points because they're not even playing on Saturday, Sunday. Scrubs. I am hooked to this thing. I'm going to be on that thing the entire day. That that actually sounds pretty fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry for calling them scrubs. Yeah, it's all right. I don't want to call them scrubs. Scrubs, They're they're professional golfers. They're professional golfers. They put their heart and soul into that. They've worked their whole life for that. Uh, These group picks that we have, uh, I think are pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Out of these groups, who do you like to win? So, best finish out of these. Justin Rose, plus 275. Jason Day, plus 300. Patrick Cantlay plus two hundred. Jordan Spieth plus two seventy five. Who would you take out of that group? Jay Rose. Uh yeah, I think that's the solid bet. I think Jordan Spieth has been playing better. Yeah. I think we forget sometimes how good he was. I think it could all come together for him. So I'll take Jordan Spieth out of that group. We need okay. to get some money on this. Worry about all the, right, the next group. Yeah, but I, th- I do. He's gonna be fine. It's all good. I hope he is. Yeah. I like him. I just worry about his the name. next group. John Rom. Mm-hmm. Plus 250. Ricky Fowler, plus 255. George, uh, Xander Schauffele. I like his last name. Schauffele. Schauffele. At plus 260. And Justin Thomas at plus 270. So these guys are all pretty equal value yeah. when you look at them. Which one would you take out of this group? JT. JT coming off the wrist. I, I'd love to see him happen. I'm going with Schauffele. I got, right. even though I did take a bet at the beginning of the year, John Robb wins his first major. So if he wins, I'm going to be good. Mood. You're covered. Uh, but not in this one. I'm going to take Schauffele. All right. 
this one, the last one. Our guy, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, or Tiger Woods. So you got the Ooh. four horsemen. Ooh. Like, these are the four studs that are coming out that have the best betting odds to win the U.S. Open. Who are you going with? You have to take your guy. Dustin Johnson. <laughs> oh, even though, <laughs> all right. I like, I think Tiger. I didn't like the weather ten. forecast, bro. Right. I'm going to go with Brooks. I'm not, fa- I am not overlooking Brooks Kepka again. It would be absolutely insane. Do you though. feel what I'm saying about Tiger though? Yes. If for conditions sure. are great and this becomes a pin hunting competition, I don't think he has the firepower anymore. It's not even the firepower. Yep. The way you played golf in the last generation, it, you're not conditioned to shoot at every single pin. So when the conditions are great and everyone's going low, I don't think he has the the the, the game to do that in terms of the way he wants to play the game. Some yep. of these young dudes are just like, I'm going to – and if one of them gets hot, they're going to hang a number on the board. Yes. So so the weather for me threw me I, – I like I want Tiger to win, but the weather, if it's going to be nice and these dudes can just hit every ball right at a pin, that worries me. Do you know what else I'm a little bit worried about, Eldrick? Uh. The weather – the fact that it's a little bit cooler, yeah. at, that's just the body. At Augusta, it was warm. Mm-hmm. It was hot. Like yeah. you get warmed up. He's got his back. He's got his, like his everything. Yeah. When it's warmer, you feel better. When you're older, when it's colder, it takes a lot longer to get warmed up. He already has to get up at 3.30 a.m. out there, like to warm up. Told you, Eldrick, bro. Yeah, man. Yeah, going all right. There you go. I like, I like that. that. Uh, El Tigre, uh, out there. All right. Finals game six, Toronto. Versus Golden State. Golden State is a two and a half point favorite. Who are you putting money? I need to, I'm going big on this game. So I need a little sway. I think I'm going to go under though, just so you take the pressure off you. All right. Um, I take Toronto to win. Really? Yeah. You say they close out in at the Oracle, closing out that stadium, three losses in a row. Here's what I'm, I'm I, I know that deck stacked against me. Yep. The other side of that, that coin is, I have I haven't seen a team navigate injuries and win championships the way they have catastrophic injuries. Yeah. Right? Like usually, you know, the team that has the injury winds up losing and they dodged a bullet in game five. I know they're gonna be emotionally I don't I don't know how if Golden State wins this championship, it's the it's the best like job accomplishment, accomplishment that any of them have done in their career. Steve Kerr uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond, all of them. I, I can't see a path to that, but I'm, I'm taking a parlay. I'm taking Golden State minus two and a half and the under to eleven and a half. It's going to get me great odds too. And I'm all right. celebrating that tomorrow. money. Thought we go going to We'll break we it down tomorrow, right here. Sizzler.